0: end of the perimeter church podcast we're pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service for more information about this message this week's teacher and to watch or see other messages please visit our website at perimeter.org we are taught this week by lead teacher randy pope thank you for joining us today let me ask you a question to kind of kick this one off If you had to pick one word and only one word to summarize the Christian faith, what word would you pick? Now, I won't ask you to holler out words, but I do want you to think a minute and say, what would I pick? One word that summarizes the Christian faith. Now, there is not a word, but if you ask me, I'd come up with the word love. Any of you here have love as yours? Yeah, quite a number. Well, the reason is because you see uh, everything in Scripture, it just, it points back to love. If you think about it, Jesus is approached, trying trying to catch him off guard, and they say, all right, Jesus, what's the greatest command of all commands? And he says, well, the greatest command is to love your God with all your heart, and Number two is equal to it, love your neighbor as yourself. So he summarized everything by the word love. You Go much further, you see uh, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And not new in, oh, this is something we've not talked about before but new in quality now that Jesus has now come. 1 Corinthians 13, most of you know, an entire chapter Paul devotes to love. And, and then he puts the big three at the end. He said the greatest of these is love. Many of you know that the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1, in the fifth verse he says, for the goal of our instruction of everything I'm telling you the goal of it all is love from a pure heart It's interesting that if we think well what verse is the most familiar verse to more people in the world than any other verse and everyone goes to John 3:16 for God so loved And so it's it's all it's all permeated with this idea of love And what we need to understand is God's giving of the law is no exception In his expression of love for all of his creation, he gave the laws because of his love. I have in years past called the Ten Commandments the laws of love. We're talking about it now as the lovable law. You you can't take love away from the law. It is truly why it was given. You see, the reality is God created Mankind, male and female. And then he sanctioned marriage. And he says, now marriage is for the two to now become one. You become one. And that is so important to me that I'm going to do everything I need to do to protect the beauty of this oneness. I'm going to give one of the Ten Commandments. We know it as the seventh. The seventh commandment, which is to protect the sanction." of love in its highest expression in marriage, a sexual relationship. Now, in doing so, and when I say highest, I mean the union of man and woman is the ultimate, but, but he's given that for that purpose, to sanction, to help, to, to just bring those two together as strong as man and woman can be brought together. So let's look at Exodus 20, verse 14. It's very brief. We are familiar with it. It says, you shall not commit adultery. And when we hear the word adultery, if we're familiar with the word, we all know it, and and it's literally talking about, well, when you have a sexual relationship outside of your marriage. So you're in a marriage and you go outside, you break your relationship by having sexual relationship. So that's adultery. But we know that you cannot just say that's only what adultery is referring to. Here's how we know that. Later, we're going to come to imaginary sex as we complete the message today. It's lust. Many of you know that Jesus is approached, and he's now talking this great sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, and when he has the masses there, he says, let me explain it to you, and he makes it real clear. He says, hey, whoa, 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 you guys don't understand your adultery deal, ah, oh, you got it. You've redefined everything, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But he says you've redefined it. You can have adultery without touching somebody, and they had to be a who What are you talking about? He says, if you so much as lust, if you lust at a woman, if you lust at the opposite sex, if you lust in a sexual relationship, if you lust outside. A marriage relationship. Let me tell you, lust, it's the same as committing adultery. There's no difference. What? We'll we'll get to that. But let's understand, as we said last week, these laws cradle all the commands of God within the ten spheres that these commandments cover. And so with it, we have what we've already talked about, extramarital sex. We talked about that last week. This week, we're going to be talking about premarital sex and imaginary sex. Now, last week, just to kind of cover the, the, uh, the things we talked about, we said sex is good. Uh, Christians should be pro-sex. I addressed the issue, is this an inappropriate topic in a family-friendly environment such as church? And argue, and I argue strongly, no, it's not inappropriate. In fact, it is the most inappropriate It's the place to address this. I don't care what age you're here. It's perfectly fine. It's good. We talked about Mark Twain, how he probably, you know, expresses what most of the world today feels. I quoted him when he says, he railed God saying, why would he parcel out a source of pleasure and joy, forbidding it till marriage and then restricting it to only one partner. Why would he do that? And so I gave four reasons that I would answer someone to say, here's why God would do that based on God's word. Now we're going to turn our attention to the second topic and and the third. And let me tell you, as I was preparing this this week, I said, oh my goodness, we got a problem because I prepared everything that I thought would be good to say. And I look at it, I go, this is going to take me at least an hour. I said, we've got we've got a choice here either we cut a lot out or i teach for an hour and i knew i knew what you would want so <laughs> so we'll be here for an hour but we don't usually <laughs> don't usually do that actually we're not going to do that i'm going to cut it down so please know there's a lot of good stuff that that we just let's get the the high points that's what you'll remember anyway so let's look at uh, premarital sex the word for it is fornication in Scripture. So you see that, you young people, kids that are here know it's talking about a sexual relationship uh, that is not when you're married, but just outside of marriage in general. This subject is going to sound very antiquated. Our young people, and I I hate this week that so many of our young people are on retreat, but let me say, I'm telling you, this one, this is the one where you address what I'm addressing, they say, where are you coming from, old man? Are you serious? You're actually believing? You think? Are you still in that? Oh my goodness! Why would any nobody would? You take the belief of Scripture that I'm teaching, and you take it into the halls of your school, and in fact, you can take it well after school into the by places or the the, uh, the 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 places of work. I don't care where you go. And people go, you're single and what? You haven't, I can't believe it. Are you, what's wrong with you? That's what you're going to hear. But let me tell you, parents, what I'm about to share in both of these last two segments, I hope you're going to teach to your children. We don't need them to hear just what they're not supposed to do what they can do, they need to have some reasoning as to why. Why might God say that? So I'd like to address that. First of all, no debate about what Scripture says. Let's read Hebrews thirteen four and then 1 Corinthians 6. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let's go to our Corinthians passage. Verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. None of them shall inherit the kingdom of God. That does not mean if you've ever been involved in any of those things, Therefore, you, you have no chance, not at all. He's saying people who live as a life, that's the way they live. That's what they think. That's what they hold. That's what they do. It's just, that's not a follower. Followers follow. And you're not following There's no evidence of being a real, these are not real Christians. If that's what you can do with no conscience, no issue, just let's go about it. Let's just do it. Now, Why? I'm going to give you just the topics. I can't go into it in any detail and do both. But let's, let's hit three reasons. If I were talking to Mark Twain, these are the three areas I'd like to talk around. I would try to explain it. I'd try to discuss it with him and say, I want you to understand that God is giving these restrictions that you think is so absurd for your and my best well-being. Here's the first thing that I would say. Sex was given as an expression of a lifetime covenantal commitment. That marriage to what we talked about last week doesn't need to be talked about in great detail. What marriage is designed to be is a relationship of loyalty and trust. It's it's the deepest of all relationships. And God says, I'm giving you sex as for that relationship and that alone. Now, you pull it outside of its intended use and watch what it does, you will not be satisfied. Oh, with the initial experience, yes. The ultimate, no. It just will not serve you well. Think about anything that's designed for a purpose and you take it outside its purpose and you realize how many consequences there are. Uh, if, if a car, what's a car for? Well, for me, a car is to get me from point A to B. Some people, car is something to enjoy riding in. It's something to, you know, there are a lot of different reasons that, that cars are made and different types of cars are made. But if I take my car and, and we're in the midst of a civil war, so I say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a car and I'm going to use it as a tank and I'm going to, it'll protect me like a tank. Let's go in. I get destroyed. And I go, well, that was crazy. I just took something out of its intended use and and, and I pay the consequence for it. Whether I think it's a good thing or not, it's crazy. It's not intended for that. God says, this thing called a covenant, I have built my kingdom on covenants. I have an everlasting covenant with my people. It's a promise. And I'm the one who says, when you vow a vow before God, defer not to pay it, for God hath no pleasure in fools. Better is it that you would never vow a vow than that you would vow a vow and then not pay it. In Ecclesiastes, he makes it very clear. These vows are that important to me. He gave great consequence to breaking vows. He says, this is the ultimate. It's the ultimate relationship when you come into covenant. And so I have brought you, man and woman together in covenant, and I've given this precious treasure called sex, and it goes in that relationship, and when you take it out, it's going to hurt you. Ultimately, it will hurt you. I had stats and stuff. I'm going to leave them out, but just do any research on your own and, and ask, well, what about people who cohabitate before marriage? What's the typical length of time they stay together? What type do you know what the broken hearts, the pain, the suffering, uh, the number of divorces, how high a divorce rate goes when somebody's uh, cohabitated together before they get married? I mean, it's just the statistics speak loudly in and of themselves. But we need to go to number two. Number two, premarital sex scars its users, robbing them of God's intended ideal. And rather than me trying to walk, it's too much time to go into this. Let me tell you the story and maybe whet your appetite to go check it out. When I was coming out of college, uh, I was getting a sense that God may be calling me into some form of, of Christian occupation. didn't think I'd be a pastor, but some form of Christian occupation. I decided I need to go to graduate school for theology. So as I was enlisting in, I had a summer beforehand and I knew I'd have summers in between each year and And I wanted to take a year out between my last two years just to really dig deep and and be able to learn somewhere. And so uh, with that schedule and plan in mind, I called the man was my pastor when I was in my hometown. And he had just left when I was finishing college. He's just left that church, and he's gone down to a place, Macon, Georgia, First Presbyterian Church, downtown Macon. I didn't know anything about Macon. I said, I don't care. I just want to work under him. So I called him. and I said, would you be good for me to, to come on staff? And so they made an arrangement where I could. And I would be the singles pastor, which I did every summer, four summers and one year in between the last two summers. And so I loved working with singles. As I was working with them, one of the men in the church, a, uh, a man came to me and one of the leaders in the church, he said, My son is really, a, I know he's going to get in all kinds of trouble. He's, he's a ladies' man. He's all over this, that, and the other. And I just, I'm just concerned. Could you try to build a relationship with him and see if maybe God would work in his heart? You know, I, I just am longing to see that. I said, Well, sure. I said, Well, love, any common interests that we might have? I could hear of no common interests, there was nothing. He said, he's very popular. He's this, he's that, but he doesn't like sports. He doesn't, but he, but he made the comment, said, you know what? I know you exercise a lot and you go to the gym. You know what? I know he's been talking about, he wish he knew what to do and how to go about it. And that might be one little leverage point. So I said, okay. So on a Saturday I drove by his place. I was going to go up to just knock on the door and try to see if he's home and visit with him. And, and there he is outside with his dad. And so they're out doing a project together. And as soon as I start walking up the driveway, having parked at the street, when I start walking up the sidewalk, I notice that he turns around, drops what was in his hand, and he starts walking toward the house. His dad very quickly said, hey, son, come back here. Come back here. I want you to meet Randy. Well, he knew who I was because he had been made to go to church you know, with his parents, and he'd heard who I was and this, that, and the other. So he didn't want anything to do with me. And so In the conversation there as we met, I said, your dad mentioned maybe you like working out or like to try to get into work. I do it regularly. I said, if you'd like to go to the gym, I'd love to meet you. And so I intrigued him enough that he, okay, whether he wanted to or not, he said, okay. And he met me for our first meeting. As soon as we meet, it's like pushing me away in every way but saying it. So I said, let's just cut through this real quickly. I said, look, you don't want to be here only because you're scared because I'm religious, right? He said, yeah. You don't want me to say a word about religion, God, anything, do you? He says, nope. I said, you got a deal. This is not about religion. This is not about me doing something to you. This is only about exercise. That's all we'll do. I will never mention God, religion, Bible, anything unless you ask me to. He said, I appreciate that. I said, let's go at it. So we started working out. Well, this boy was out of shape real bad. We didn't get very far, and he looks like he's like suffering and dying. <laughs> and he looks over at me and he says, I know you're religious and you go to church, you've got a job at the church and all that, but you have sex, don't you? Now, I'm single. And I look over at him and I said, no, I don't. In fact, I, I never have and I don't plan to till the day I get married. He looked at me. He said, you know it's just as wrong to lie as this to have premarital sex. <laughs> I said, I'm not lying. He said, you got to be. You can't tell me. the. You... Are you attracted to girls? I said, yeah. He said, and you don't have premarital sex or you don't have sex. I said, no. Oh, I can't believe, I don't believe you. That's your business. I don't know. So then we start swimming some laps and we're swimming laps and he, he can't make it. And so I'm already finishing. and he's, in the corner, coming back. And I'm waiting on him. He gets there and he's like breathing so hard. He can barely talk. And he says, you do, don't you? I said, I do what? You have sex. I said, you're asking me again? To-? No, I told you I don't. I don't plan to ever to the day I get married. I don't believe you. And he just, said, okay. Then we get in a sauna. Now, you know, you know why saunas were designed. They were to teach us what hell's gonna be like. You know that. <laughs> and I'm I'm hating it. And he's destroyed. I mean he's griping and ah, you know and in the midst of all that I think that's all he can think about is just how bad it is. He looks at me again and says, oh, you gotta be honest with me. You do, don't you? <laughs> Finally after three times I said, look, I'm tired of hearing that question. Either stop asking or you let me tell you why. I'll give you the why I don't have sex. Then you'll understand. But I tell you, I gotta bring a little religion, I got a little bit of my faith that'll come into the story. If you want me to if you want me to show it to you, I will do it. And he goes, All right, go ahead. So we stepped out of the sauna and, and we we're just sweating like crazy. We go sit in these two wooden chairs, and they had big armrests on them, and he sat to my side. I'm a lefty, so he's sitting over here and I'm here, and I pull out a piece of paper, I go get a pen, and I mean You know, sweat's just dripping off. And I start drawing a little diagram. As ugly as that little diagram was, it communicated. And when I finished that little diagram, I said, that's why I don't have sex. And I don't plan to to the day we get married. Now you know why. He looked over at me and said, Wow. I took the paper and started to crumple it because it was just dripping ugly. And I'm taking it. to hey, whoa, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. I said, why? I, 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 want, I want that. I said, you want that sweaty piece of run and eek? He said, yeah. I said, why do you want it? He said, I want to be able to show other people what we believe. I said, we? You got a mouse in your pocket? What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I have no clue who we. You talking about you and me, We? He said, if that's what you got, I'm open. And let me tell you, he started coming to our Christian activities and and Bible study and investigating and so forth. It made all the difference in the world because for the first time, he goes, wow. It wasn't because God says so. He said, hey, it's to my benefit that I don't. Now, if you'd like to know the diagram and for me to go through all that, I didn't have time. It's in a little book. Many of you know there's a little book I've written called Finding Your Million Dollar Mate. I found out we had about 100 left in our bookstore right now and we can get more, but I don't make a dime off the book, so I'm not doing it to to make money. But if you'd like to see, but I'd say this, parent, you be able to tell your kids why not. Don't just say not. Help them see why not. Have them to the point they go, I don't want to have sex. I may fail in my attempt not to, but I'll tell you this. I'm crazy, I'm crazy not to walk into marriage and get the best that you can possibly get. Assuming God takes you into marriage, you don't want to have sex. If you don't go into marriage, I'm telling you, there's good reason. So I'm gonna skip that point and go over to number three. Number three, premarital sex leads to moral bondage. Let me put it this way. You cannot walk in the power of God. You can walk in willpower, Some people have strong willpower, some people don't. You can walk in willpower, but it'll never accomplish what we need. You've got to walk in God's power. And this, you cannot walk in God's power in the Christian faith and embrace selective obedience. Oh, I don't do this and this and this because Christianity. I do this because of Christianity, and I'm involved, and I love the Lord, and I'm all with Jesus. But now over here, now you're talking about sexual relations. Well, of course I'm yeah I know I'm not married but I, yeah a sexual relationship I am but I will love my church and love God and love and I go whoa, whoa 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 you have no clue you cannot have the power of God in your life when we selectively obey and so you need God's power moral bondage will just start taking hold it is a gateway it is a gateway to many other forms of bondage Now, there's only one really important reason for the Christian to say, why would I not have premarital sex? It's because God says no. Even if we didn't understand the whys. We've got to come to the point that we don't agree with God when it makes sense to us. But we agree with God because God says it. Until we get there, we're in trouble in our spiritual formation. It's going to be handicapped Forever. So what if you engaged in premarital sex right now? It's no different than any other sin. And what we have to do is we have to, we have to repent. And again, I'm going to keep going over this a thousand times until it just starts becoming part of this. repentance. Is not just saying, okay, I'm wrong. I, I accept it's wrong. I'm going to keep doing it, but it's wrong. I'm, I'm admitting it. No. It's taking the next step with that, saying it's wrong. And I really am remorseful that I've come here. I wish I'd not ever started. I, I, if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't. It's not my intention to ever do it again, that I may fail, I may struggle but fall, but it's not because, hey, I don't care, I'm just going to keep no, I wish I were. But it's more than that. It's coming back as we sang this morning, coming back to the open arms, running to you, Jesus, running to those open arms, saying, "Your love is enough for me. If we think I've got to have your love and premarital sex. i got to have love. And, no, 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 no. Your love is enough. Now get a, a team around you, an intercessory team, accountability team that will pray. And just remember the gospel, the good news. It's what God does for you. He forgives sin. We'll touch on that in just a minute at the end of this next point. Let's look at imaginary sex. Imaginary sex, we call it lust Uh, Matthew 5 the text I referred to beginning in 27 says you have heard that it was said remember from last week when we read Jesus saying it was said it means that what is coming is changing either the words or the intent of what God gave it to say in this case the words are okay you shall not commit adultery we just read that in Exodus 20 but the Pharisees a part of his audience there, they had taken the meaning and had changed it. They had literally redefined adultery as being only the physical act if you are married to somebody which gave you freedom in all other arenas. He says, but I say to you, and either he's going to say, I say to you when he's telling the truth or he's going to say it is written. In this case, he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart so we have to kind of get first thing, well, at what point have you lusted when is it wrong I've been asked is it, is it wrong if you're attracted to somebody you see somebody attractive and you say wow that's that person's very attractive no that does not mean that you have started to lust well, what is lust lust is when you're you're taking that uh, fantasy of stepping beyond making it personal and making it sexual that's when you've now encountered, we've encountered the, the realm of lust. It's, it, the way Martin Luther made it, he said, hey, it's kind of like this. You, you can't help if birds fly around your head. But what you can do is you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. You can do that. And somebody said, well, well is that like you can, the first look's okay, it's the, it's the second look? I said, well, kind of, you know, I guess so. And they said, well, I only take one look start here and I just keep going and keep going. No, 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 no. That's, that's not what we're talking about. But I think you get the idea here. Lust. Now, what would we say to the answer to our kids? What's wrong with this pornography? It's just a fun, it's a fun picture. I just said, that makes me feel good. I don't hurt anybody by doing it. I don't know what's the big deal. Let me give you three reasons. Number one, lust will easily, and I should add quickly, enslave you. There's a, a great uh, article. It was in Leadership Magazine years ago that caught my heart big time. And uh, it, was, it was entitled, uh, The Anatomy of Lust. It was written by one who remained anonymous, but it said was a Christian leader of some form, I don't know who it is. But they shared their story, I mean, very clearly. I'm going to give several little quotes from his article. But he quoted another person, Frederick Buchner, in that article. And this is what he said. He said, lust is the ape that gibbers in our loins. Tame him as we will by day. He rages all the wilder in our dreams by night. It is addictive. It, It literally paints pictures in the mind that last for months and years, literally for years. And many know all too well, particularly our men, what it is to walk with your eyes at breast level or to take something so seemingly innocent as a Time magazine and keep flipping around just looking for a racy picture, a rare racy picture, anything. We know what that is. Many know what it is to be in your hotel room and they need chains to hold you down. To say, I, I want to open the laptop. I, I want to turn on the television and use the, the, the in-house opportunity for pornography. I want to go somewhere. And I know the others are going in the business. I know where they're going and they've invited. I, and to say, God, just give me chains to hold me down. Three of our members of this church have written an article. Uh, that was published. It's a great article, uh, Faithful Business Travel for Christians. And so I have it available on the podcast. It comes out on Tuesday. Uh, you can get it in the notes there, or you could go now to perimeter.org pope. For a short while, it'll be on that site, perimeter.org pope. It's up and ready now if you're interested. Let me quote again from this anatomy of lust. The author says, lust, like physical sex, points in only one direction. Always you want more. For years I have fought unremitting guerrilla warfare. We have a man in the church, been a friend for many, many years, shared his story with me. He said from junior high to 30, I was caught up in porn. He said it took six years to break the chains. Not that I don't have any struggle, not that there's not temptation, but he says, the change, it took me six years. Hard, painful experience. Kids, don't start. When your friends say, check this out, say no. Why? Because I'm telling you, it's addictive. It will take you places you don't want to go. It will enslave you. Number two. Number two, lust will damage your marriage or future marriage. Oh, how it sets unrealistic standards for your spouse or your spouse-to-be. It's just not fair. Going on in that anatomy of lust, it says this. I could not reconcile my technicolor fantasy, fantasy life with my more mundane experience of sex and marriage. It's just, it's not right. It's not fair. This same friend of mine in our church told me, he says, I can't tell you how much better my marriage is now that I have seen those chains broken. It is a difference maker. Number three, if not curbed, lust will give birth to new and even more serious moral battlefields. It's not only addictive, it is progressive. Uh, It's the gateway to many other issues of sin in people's lives, no doubt. Take the topics, review them, think about them. And then I'm going to encourage you to do what I now suggest. I'd like to I'd like to give you four suggestions if you're addicted to lust. Everybody here struggles to lust, with lust to some degree. But I'm talking about now it's such an addiction that you are driven to and cannot pull out. I would say these four things. Number one, keep crying out to God for deliverance. I like the way the author of this article says it. I would cry out to God employing him to take take away the desire. Why were my prayers not answered? I cannot tell you why a prayer that has been prayed for 10 years is answered on the 1,000th request when God has met the first 999 with silence. I don't get that either. I don't know the ways of God. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts than my thoughts. Isaiah makes it clear. There's some people in this church that are dear friends for years that I've prayed over that are in debilitating pain and issues that are just horrendous. And prayed and prayed. From where I keep praying, I think you've got to be thinking, why are you still praying? You've been praying this for years. God's not answering this prayer. And I say, tell, we know otherwise why he wouldn't. I'm going to keep praying. I don't know, maybe that thousandth time. But we don't know God's ways. But certainly, keep crying out to God. Number two, Stop feeding your lustful desires. Just stop feeding them. You, you can't just, okay, uh, maybe this will go away, but today it will be okay. Today, no, don't keep feeding them. Don't go to the places. Don't put yourself in the environments. Fight against that. The author of Anatomy says this. He says, the great lie of Playboy TV commercials and racy movies is that the physical ideal of beauty is attainable, and it's so close. The truth, of course, is that if I sat next to Miss October, she wouldn't give me the time of day. That's true. I love to think about it this way. I've got to, I've got to think on the truth, which takes us to the third point, and I'll illustrate it. number number three: memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. I was in, in my early Christian life as a young student, man, I began to ask, I, I got this issue, you know, I got lust, what do I do with it? And how do I, and, and boy, the people that came around me said, look, you gotta memorize scripture. Scripture will wash your mind. It will wash your mind. Just take it, I hate scripture memory. My mind's an analytical mind. I, can, I, don't, I don't like memorizing, it's hard for me. But I, I said, okay, I'm gonna do it till I had memorized thousands of verses. I said, I gotta just take God's word, and I gotta just make it wash over my mind and over my mind and over my mind. And for years and years and years and years, still to this day, I still memorize Scripture. It's so important. But one text particularly, Colossians 3. Colossians 3 was advised to me, take this text, memorize it, and then get it so well known that you can personalize it and put it in your own prayer for you. And so I started memorizing. it. If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Not the things of earth. Set your mind on things above, not on things of earth, for you you've died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is your life is revealed, you'll be re- revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly bodies, dead, immorality, impurity, passion, evil design, I can say it with my eyes closed. I don't need to think about it. What does that say? It says, I've had so much struggle, I've had to constantly go to it. But I tell you, when you turn that around and say, Oh Lord, I want to set my mind now on the things above, not on the things of earth. For Lord, I've died. My life is hidden with Christ in you. When Christ, who is my only hope, is revealed, I'll be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, Lord, help me consider the members of my earthly body as dead to immorality, and purity. And there it goes. And I'll tell you, when you're tempted to lust and all of a sudden you start memorizing or or repeating scripture, man, that thing is gone before you know it and go, okay, where'd that go? I, I guess I'm okay right now. Only to have to pull it out over and over and over again. I just think it is so very important that we memorize Scripture and do not keep feeding. Don't keep feeding lust. Number four, get outside help. We've got help here at the church. We have pastors. We have one particular that works uh, in our uh, very important ministry, Celebrate Recovery, on Wednesday nights. You need people who understand the battle who are giving you the data you need to fight the battle, they are giving you the relationships, the context to whip it. Don't let it keep going. If you want to contact the person here to contact, Kipper tab, T at perimeter.org, or you could get his phone number. I'm having it up there now, just so you can take it down and, and contact him. And we'll give you help. You've got to get help. Let me close. Are you in sexual trouble? Whatever form or fashion? I'll tell you this. Kids, if you're in sexual trouble, you can tell it to somebody. Ideally, your parents. But you may say, no way, Jose. Find somebody and say, I'm in trouble. I need help. Got to get help. It's not the unpardonable sin, but you've got to want to be released. I love the story of a great theologian who I heard in person share the story of his daughter. I won't use his name because of what it is. He said, my daughter, extremely overweight. For years growing up, always overweight. Attractive, but just very overweight. And then she lost her weight. It almost happened so quickly. And she became a model, an adult model. And so somebody asked his daughter, how did it happen? What happened? And this was her response. She said, I came to the reality that no food tastes as good as a good figure feels. And I suggest in our own faith, No inappropriate sexual pleasure feels as good as walking in communion with God and living in a clear conscience. There's nothing. I hope you'll go to the gospel, the good news. Let me tell you, this willpower, give it up. Oh, it's good, but it's not good enough. Go to the cross of Christ, see his love. Appropriate his power. If you say, Randy, you got me, I have no clue. Go to perimeter.org, 17 minutes. I've left it there for years. I always point people, you better know how to appropriate God's power. And at least if you take 17 minutes, you can hear it. perimeter.org slash pope, but appropriate God's power. Get others to come around you and fight the battle. Always pointing toward Jesus. It is his love that transforms our lives. Run to the cross. And as you fall in love with him, You'll want to do his will, and then you'll find who and what needs to be done to get you there. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, uh, we just applaud you for being God. And thank you for protecting us with your laws, and we pray, Father, forgive us where we've not followed the protection you've offered, and we want to repent even now, and we want to say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, and I'll come back to you. I want to say it right now. Your love is enough for me now help me father help me show me who show me how but lord help me thank you for your love thank you for next week as we follow up with stealing and then lying and then coveting we pray father that you continue to bless as we walk through this series we pray in the great name of christ our savior amen you've been listening to the perimeter church podcast